The App Guide podcast is brought to you by B7Dev. That is B7Dev.com. App development you really enjoy. And make sure that when you're reaching out to the founder, his name is Haim, mention my name and I'm sure that he will look after you. Thanks very much to B7Dev for supporting the show. Newmob, N-E-U-M-O-B. Newmob have created a solution to speed your mobile apps by two to 10 times simply by integrating their two-line SDK. Go and check out more. It's newmob.com, N-E-U-M-O-B.com. Gummy Cube, dedicated to helping your mobile app find its audience. For all app store optimization services and more, go to gummycube.com. That's G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E, gummycube.com. Thanks to Gummy Cube for supporting the show. Apptentive. Apptentive helped Credit Sesame build their trust, increase their retention by 20%. To get the full case study and to get your free mobile app consultation, go to apptentive.com forward slash app guy. That's apptentive.com forward slash app guy. And thanks, Apptentive, for being such a great sponsor of this show. This is Steve O'Hare. Uh, I'm a tech journalist at TechCrunch, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. So you're about to hear an episode of the App Guide podcast. It's with a great founder. He's built up a company from his dorm room at college to the size of $100 million. And he's done that with his co-founder. It's a very inspiring story. He took a very simple problem, which was out there, which is that it was really hard to find remotely great developers and great designers. And what they've done is they've got the process now whereby they are assessing developers and designers and their criteria actually it's only one percent of the developers and designers get through to work on project work but those projects are terrific they're getting a lot of traction now more details will obviously be in the episode the reason i'm making this upfront announcement is that i've become good friends with someone internally at the company and I need you to help me out with a challenge. My challenge is that I am looking for founders uh, or CEOs or any companies that are looking for great developers and great designers for project work, for maintenance of their app, for any kind of exciting new apps that they're maybe putting into prototype or doing an MVP, whatever the work is, uh, then I would like to know about it and that way I can make a personal introduction to my good friend in in this company and they've assured me that they'll actually give them the VIP treatment they'll look after them and it it really means a win-win situation so I thought I'd make an upfront announcement about this because if you're a listener to this show then you know help out support out and uh, even if uh, you're not a founder yourself you you probably are online and you know you maybe know people in your circles in your network who are currently looking for developers and designers of course if you are a developer and designer you can also reach out to me and I'll make this warm introduction for you and it means that uh, you'll have a better experience and maybe get on to some great project work but primarily I'm looking for uh, companies startups small mid-sized companies that are in need of great developers and great designers you can email me paul at theappguy.co 
simply with whoever you have in mind and then I'll make the warm introduction. So that's paul at theappguy.co or you can actually get in touch with me through my website, theappguy.co. Thank you for helping out. They're excited about the show. You never know, they may even in future decide to sponsor the show. I don't know, but I was really inspired by this episode. I loved the founder, I loved the story and I love what they stand for because it is disrupting the whole way we work. It's making it more possible to work remotely and become the best at what you do so stay tuned listen to this episode but remember do look out for those companies that are hiring and please do get in touch with me just a simple email let me know so i can make a warm introduction thanks very much and let's get into the episode Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. This is Paul Kemp. This is the show where we meet founders, entrepreneurs, startup people, anyone in the startup world, because we are app entrepreneurs ourselves. And if you listen to this as an entrepreneur, you will gain a lot of benefit. I have a terrific, terrific guest lined up for us today because we're going to learn a lot about this next problem out there, which is getting hold of good designers, good developers. And my guest is Brendan Benishot, and he is the co-founder of a company called TopTal. We're going to learn a lot about that. Brendan, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. And firstly, I guess I'd love to know what TopTal is. I know that you have a very good, unique proposition, which is that you search for the top 3% of talent. But uh, give us an, uh, an idea what, of what TopTal is. Sure. So TopTal is, uh, we still consider ourselves a startup, a little over five years old. And we are a, a pretty exclusive network of engineers and more recently designers all, all over the world. And we uh, work with lots of clients all over the world. And so what it means for startups and Fortune 500 companies and SMBs and everything in between is when, when they have needs for top-level software engineers or designers, UX experts, et cetera, they, they come to us and hire top tellers to work on their projects as if they were hiring a core team member sitting in San Francisco or wherever it happens to be in their, in their in-house office. So, so what led you to start TopTal then? How did you get this off the ground five years ago? Sure. So we were in my dorm room uh, at Princeton. <laughs> and so TopTal pr pretty much started from my dorm room at, at Princeton. And so I was doing this degree in chemical engineering and it was very expensive and I, I was responsible for paying for it myself. And so the way that I did that was by freelancing as a software engineer on the side. And so that led me to all sorts of things. And I worked with all sorts of different companies and startups, et cetera, and got pretty good at this. And inevitably, various startups ended up in a position where I had to hire other engineers because we needed to scale our team or product or whatever. And that was really hard. You, the traditional methods of hiring engineers were just totally broken in terms of you post a job on like an open forum or Craigslist or a job board or any of these freelance marketplaces. And you get thousands of applicants and thousands of very bad applicants. And even the simplest things, it just became very, very difficult to, to find anybody good through all of this noise and people pinging you from all over the world who don't are just totally underqualified. And so finding somebody very good through all of that noise was just way too difficult. And it takes months of time for us. And in, in every case, a lot of times you, you hire the wrong person because 
unfortunately, the best software engineers are usually the, the least aggressive self-marketers. And so finding them was just a, a total broken model. And so you, sometimes you can go try to hire your friends or you know, through your network, et cetera. But everybody's already taken because everybody is either working at like a Facebook or a Google and they, they have multiple good offers at any point in time. And especially as a startup, it's very difficult to compete with those guys on a compensation level. And so I knew that this was very frustrating. I was able to leverage kind of this supply shortage of engineers as a freelancer myself and, and do quite well as, uh, as a young kid. But on the hiring side, it was totally broken. And then Tasso was coming from a similar point of view as he was an engineer working at some prominent companies in Silicon Valley and seeing the exact same thing of hiring was was extremely difficult. And I was actually trying to hire somebody or fill a position on a startup that I was working at while going to school and ran into Tasso, who was my neighbor in Palo Alto, and I asked him, like I was asking everybody, I was like, hey, do you know anybody awesome who's available? And it knew, knowing that it was a long shot. And Tasso was the first person who said yes. And I said, really? Because uh, I, I knew Tasso respected him a lot, and he's very smart. And said, okay, like fantastic. I can't wait to talk to him. And he said, you know, he's in Argentina, and he's going to be. He would be working remotely, et cetera, et cetera. And my a lot of like red flags went up for me of like, whoa, wait, you don't, you can't work with somebody in Argentina, like across the world. Like you need to be sitting next to people in the office. And I had had lots of bad experiences outsourcing things overseas and pretty much everybody had. And I had come to the conclusion that this is just difficult or impossible, not just difficult. And he said, you know, trust me. And I, I talked to Ignacio the next day and started working with him, you know, an hour later and did a 180 on the whole remote thing. Uh, wow. And it was, it was amazing. He's unbelievably smart, unbelievably proactive, like super funny and just got it instantly. And it, I realized in just, you know, the first few hours of working with him that this really was possible. You could work with somebody anywhere in the world. They just needed to be of a, of a very specific caliber and cut from a very specific cloth. And we, Ignacio and I are killing it. And so we're, we're doing all this stuff together and I'm learning tons from him and, and just really building this great relationship. And Tasso inevitably came and visited me at, at Princeton. And I was just blown away. I'm like, if we could do this at scale, like find more people like Ignacio and build an exclusive network. And he had already been thinking about this. So he was the driver of this initial conversation he said, we could do this. Like we could change the world in terms of if we make an exclusive network full of the, the smartest people that fit these characteristics that will enable them to thrive with U.S. startups and U.S. companies, then we'll be unstoppable. This could be a you know, multi-billion dollar company. And we started looking at how, how all these other companies were trying to do this, but sort of really falling short, et cetera. And that's how it, it got started in my dorm room. And Tasso had a lot of connections in Silicon Valley. I had a good number and, and classmates and stuff. And so as engineers, people were coming to us every single day asking us if we were available to work at their companies. And so instead of saying no in the early days, we said, no, but you should try this thing we're working on. And so all of our clients came <laughs> to clever. us. All of our clients came to us in the early days. And I mean, they were the early adopters and we killed it with them and they invited their friends and then the sort of virality, if that's how you want to think of it, took off in the early days. And that's really how it started. So you know, quite a bit of revenue very quickly and knew we were onto something. 
I love that. So inspiring. And you've actually picked up on a very major theme of this entire show. We've had 449 episodes now, and that is the biggest theme, you know, coming across a problem and solving it. And so the next problem I'm often asked is actually how to scale, because you've got, you know, something that you see is successful and you know you're onto something. But what were the biggest challenges as you did actually grow and scale the company? Sure. So the the company started a little over five years ago and you know zero basically in terms of revenue. And then it was just Tasso and, and me. And then we are now have hundreds of core team members. We'll fly past a hundred million in, in revenue this year. So it's a it's a very fast growth rate. And the biggest challenges throughout that process, I think, were probably knowledge transfer and training programs. So TopTels had this amazing benefit in that when we, most people say that their biggest problem is recruiting. Ours is not recruiting because like anytime I need to hire somebody, they have all of TopTel right here. And so people rise through the ranks here, given this sort of very cool meritocracy that we've built. And that was never the issue. The issue was, okay, you're super smart and super driven. How can I sort of catch you up on the last 10 years of, of context and, and everything that we've learned so that you can sort of, so that you can thrive here and trying to figure that out and do it at scale. So hundreds of times over and over again and not dropping balls or, or having gaps or realizing that you covered something with somebody, but not somebody else has been, that's been the most difficult part because everybody here is exceptionally capable. The problem is when you know, they they didn't know something that somebody else did or that that I took for granted, et cetera. And so honestly, I think that's that's definitely my answer. And for us, the solution has been investing a lot in training programs, just making sure people have everything that they need in order to thrive as as quickly as possible. And if I were to do it again, I would do that a lot sooner. Yeah, I'm guessing what I'm learning from you is, you know, you're not a, a company that's 100 years old and you've got this corporate culture to kind of fall back on. You're a new company and that must be hard to sustain a culture over that time. I wondered then how you actually managed to build such a huge network of talent. I mean, you know, you said how difficult it was in the early days to find talent, but here you are discovering all this talent. How, how did you build that network? Sure. So really kind of a network effect of once Tasso and I sat down and said, this is, this is what we think the screening process should be. So this is what the, some, you know, an elite engineer works or looks like. Now let's come up with a screening process that makes sure somebody is at that good or better. Then we started filling that screening funnel. And so reaching out to, to people who then reach out to other people and that, that seeded a lot of it. And then, you know, very small numbers. I think the acceptance rate now is like around 1%. Um, and so the, you know, after a lot of hard work, we're building up this network of a few really good people. And then where it really started to take off was those few really good people were able to bring in their friends who were really good people. And so there's this I think about this uh, example all the time. If I go ping the best engineer that I know and ask them for an intro to the best engineer that they know, and then ask them for the be- an intro to the best engineer that they know, you can quickly <laughs> yeah. get to extremely good engineers. Uh, and so we did that over and over and over. And uh, now there's thousands of top talent engineers and the network effects are uh, amazing. I mean, it grows itself. I love that. I'm going to have to pick up on that 1%. And that's, that's, that's really... Uh... 
hard to get into then is that one percent of everyone that what visits you or one percent of everyone that applies i mean give us everyone who applies and starts the screening process which is pretty lengthy and it's everything from looking at integrity and communication style and skill to drive to some personality characteristics to I mean, experience, problems, really problem-solving ability is the majority of the emphasis, but there's a lot of soft skills we look at as well. well. Let's talk about the screening process and how you came up with it. I know there's a lot of people listening who perhaps would be very interested in going through that. We've had a lot of listeners apply to accelerators, incubators, but also mm-hmm. um, uh, I just wondered like how um, you came up with the screening process and perhaps you can give us an insight into anyone who wants to apply. Sure. Well, we came up with it because Tasa and I had interviewed at, at a lot of companies and we kind of took the best the best parts of different experiences that we had had being interviewed. And so there's there's like the coding challenge side of it that's more like algorithmic. Then you have the whiteboard coding sessions, which is more I think real problem solving. And then you you have some of the the soft skill stuff, et cetera. And so we looked at how Google does it. We looked at how Facebook does it and relied on a lot of firsthand experience, abstracted out what we thought the lowest common denominators needed to be, and then added the, the components that we thought were the requirements of, okay, how do you not just find somebody extremely smart, driven, and talented, but somebody who's really going to thrive with the, with the U.S. company, typically. And so they need to speak perfect English. There can be no hiccups or, or bottlenecks or issues there. And then we're looking for their internet connectivity and they're you know, they showing up to interviews on time and all of the things that you, or maybe even as a little kid, you're told like, you know, you always you never be late for an interview, never chew gum. Like right. we, we, we came up with like our own list of all these things that we're really looking at all the engineers we had been working with and saying, what's the lowest common denominator here? Right. Okay. That That is great. So I guess people have gone through the screening process. So how did you manage to build a company i mean i'm really interested in this remote working i mean there's a lot of people listening to this all over the world i mean the podcast reaches every every country and i i wondered how you actually built the company where everyone works remotely sure so this is a byproduct of the princeton days where tasso is living in palo alto and i'm living in, in my dorm room and i'm finishing a, a d- degree and i mean it was super time-consuming and difficult to do the degree component. So I didn't have time to go meet with clients uh, in New York City or anywhere else. I didn't have time to meet with engineers. I mean, some of them happened to be in Princeton, but I mean, we were talking with, to people in Argentina, for example. And Tasso didn't have time to, I mean, he would have gone nuts if he stayed in my dorm room too long. So he's, he's back in Palo Alto and talking to clients and doing the same thing there. And so purely out of necessity, because I had class and stuff, I, we had to be remote at first. And then by the time we graduate six months later, we're asking ourselves very seriously, like, okay, we kind of assumed that we were going to go to Silicon Valley where we both consider our roots to be and do a big round of funding and follow the very, you know, Valley, follow the Valley way. That's kind of how we thought of it. But we, we paused and said, well, well, why? I mean, we, we need all this money to do what? To grow really fast? We're already growing really fast. To do what? To pay ourselves? I mean, we're single and unattached 20-somethings. You don't really need that. Uh, we needed to get an office and fill it with people. I mean, we already have people working with us, and they're doing it from all over the world in their homes. Like, why do we need a $10,000 a month office just to start? And so we, we skipped it. And we said, well, 
we are young, unattached 20 something. So like, let's go to someplace super fun and super uh, economically smart. And so we went to Eastern or Central Europe in uh, uh, Budapest where it was extremely cheap. And we did massive penthouses downtown overlooking opera houses and stuff (laughs) for, you know, less than a thousand dollars a month combined. Whereas, you know, that, that would have been like the the worst single room apartment in New York. (laughs) And so, I mean, it was just like, you know, the dollar went so far there and they also had the opposite problem in terms of they have tons of really smart people and software engineers who just don't have enough opportunities. And so from, from a lot of different directions, that's, uh, that's why we chose to to go that route. And then along the way, it's just made sense. It was when, when a new person joins the team, cause you're scaling a, you know, sales or, or your engineering team internally, et cetera. I mean, they're plugging on, plugging in and jumping into Skype and all the things that we, that we're all already using. And occasionally you need to sort of rethink things because you might have like a chat with, you know, 45 people on it. And that that's too many, but for the most part, it's, you know, I think we hired more than I think 90 people in the last 70 days was the number that I heard just on the core team. And I mean, very little has changed at the company in terms of how we interact. It's mostly through Skype. We use uh, a few other tools like Slack and stuff a little bit now. And it's really just over communicating with people all the time and very few scheduled meetings. And I mean, everybody's very smart and has a lot of freedom and you're empowered to take what you need and ping people if you need to solve something as if like don't email them and and say like hey do you have time on tuesday at five and they're like no how about six and then it comes and goes and you only had one meeting and one communication point in like a, a week with that person with top tell you just find them on skype and ping them and and say hey you got a second it's like walking over to their office physically and knocking and saying hey man do you got a sec and so the cycles just become very very fast and it's it's a little chaotic, but it's exhilarating. And I think everybody feels this like incredible energy when they plug into TopTal where, oh my gosh, there's so many things happening all over the place and everybody's so driven and so smart and people are communicating all over the place. Like, like 10 hours go by and you, and you, you, may, you may have forgotten to like leave your chair or, or go grab something <laughs> to eat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned Slack as well. And, you know, they've got this um, big fund, $80 million fundish and looking for developers, but even they can't tackle the remote. I think everything is in an office. So, you know, it's really impressive what you've done there at TopTal. Yeah, the, the Slack example is interesting. They... I think they could if they wanted to. Slack, if I remember correctly, I read a couple articles. They're they're taking a bit different approach where they are kind of strictly more nine to five and take a lot of time off and they're are really emphasizing kind of a work life balance. And for some people, I think that's fantastic. But the type of people who come to TopTel, I think they'd go nuts in that type of environment, like including me. I I, I need kind of constant sort of exhilaration and stimulation, and I get it through working at TopTel. This episode is brought to you by B7Dev. That's b7dev.com. It's an app building firm and they have a great reputation. Let me just give you some feedback from others out there. There's Kenny Myers, who's the founder of an app, Myog, M-Y-O-G. And he uh, says that, I recently built my app with Haim and his team. They were a pleasure to work with from start to finish. Very professional and extremely fair rates. My app is now going well in the Apple App Store and we've had zero issues or user crashes. I highly recommend Haim and his team. 
I will definitely be using them again. That's Kenny Myers and there's a lot of other testimonials. But for now, what I need you to do is if you are interested in building an app, go to b7dev.com. That's b7dev.com. Make sure when you're reaching out to them, ask for the founder, Haim, C-H-A-I-M, and mention my name, Paul Kemp, the app guy. You should know that by now. And he will give you a good deal. He'll really look after you. And I'd love to hear your feedback on using them as well. So that's b7dev.com. And thanks for, very much to B7Dev and Haim for supporting the show. Newmob, N-E-U-M-O-B.com. So I want to quickly talk about the difference between how traditional website CDNs work and how Newmob works to speed up mobile apps. Traditional website CDNs do an excellent job of concentrating on the first mile and the middle mile of an app's session, but don't have an app-centric solution for the final mile, the mobile mile, between the edge of the internet and the user's device. Mobile internet, yes, but apps, no. Cloud latency and packet loss retransmission and congestion are issues that occur when a session travels from the app's data center to the user's device. These problems are greatly compounded in a developing world on slow mobile networks. NewMob has a purpose-built solution for the first, middle, and last miles traveled in every app session. The NewMob Accelerator is the world's first end-to-end -end accelerator for app developers. Delivered as a two-line SDK, it provides a mobile app with instant access to acceleration features at all stages of the mobile delivery process. The first mile, the middle mile, and the mobile mile. So I highly recommend going to newmob.com. That's N-E-U-M-O-B.com. And thank you very much to Newmob for supporting this show. There's two more things we need to do then before we say goodbye. One is uh, that uh, you mentioned when you were starting out, a lot of people listening to this are starting out. And one of the toughest challenges uh, they often face is uh, getting funding. Now, you did say that you had, uh, I guess, a lot of revenue and it was a success at the start. But did you fund externally? Did you go to angel investors or VCs to get the extra funding? Tell us how you, you kind of got the funding off the ground. We raised a little bit of money from a few strategic investors like Andreessen Horowitz and Adam D'Angelo and Ryan Rockefeller, et cetera. So I think it totaled about one and a half million. For where we are, that is very, very little. The way that I think of it, we skipped multiple funding rounds and by acting like a bootstrapped company. And so the answer to your question is I would avoid raising money. I would think about how you can generate a little bit of revenue in the early days and run kind of via this bootstrap slash, I think, I think Amazon does a good job doing this. So generate some money and then reinvest it today so that you grow more tomorrow. And every little growth spurt you, you do, you have a new opportunity to, to reinvest so that you grow even more. And don't save a bunch of money. Uh, I mean, if you have reasons to think you need like a rainy day fund or something, maybe that makes sense. But I like how Peter Peter Thiel thinks of it in terms of if you're saving money in startup mode, then that means you've run out of ideas in terms of how to grow faster. And that's probably not the case. So it makes more sense to invest that as fast as possible and intelligently as possible. When it comes to if you've decided that you really do need to raise, uh, I think the best thing you can do is, is network and put together a very good deck. And that is something that we did in the early days is put a lot of energy into it, an ultra professional and you know, very clear deck, you know, very short, but it really hits on the things that 
I, I think people care about, which is are the how what are your sort of unfair competitive advantages, your unit economics, and how am I? And you you clearly paint a picture that enables investors to connect the dots in terms of they can look at this deck and then quickly imagine like, okay, I'm going to 10x or 100x my investment with these guys. You know, that is so inspirational because we've had so so many founders on this show who have, you know, said how hard it is fundraising, how they have sometimes have to spend a year like, you know, focused on the round, the fundraising round. And, and just to hear you to talk about actually doing it without that much funding is, is, is so inspirational. And there's one other thing we need to do then, uh, which is that a lot of people get inspired by this show from our guests. And we've had uh, a lot of examples where people have quit corporate jobs to go and do their own thing, start their own company. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what a typical day is like for you, Brendan, because uh, I guess it's like, no, there's no typical day, but give us a sense of uh, what it's like to be the co-founder of TopTal. Sure. So, yeah, typical is a little difficult. Tuesday is never like Monday uh, at TopTal, and especially for me. And my life now is changing a lot. I have a, a five-week-old daughter, so I'm still sort of getting the hang of things and trying to build in some routines. Whereas before, my life was very free. But for most people at TopTal, including me, for the majority of my time at TopTel, it's been a lot of travel. So when you're remote, you can go anywhere you want. And so I would follow the sun and spend summers in Europe and winters in South America and play lots of polo and you know, work from beaches and sort of really you know, live a life I think a lot of people dream about. Now it's it's gotten a little bit slower and not traveling so so often, obviously. So when I wake up, I I mean I drink a I love bulletproof coffee. So I drink a bunch of that and make breakfast every day. A lot of protein and stuff. And then I will check email, check a bunch of analytics dashboards at TopTel in terms of like unit economics and trends and, and overall health and maybe awesome questions. And I I get really deep into a lot of the data science stuff. And so that might take a little bit of time. But then the rest of the day is on Skype and doing a lot of one-on-ones with people at the company, trying to problem solve and you know, eliminate whatever barriers they have and help them work through problems or you know train their team or hire new people etc so i do that in a lot of interviews I, I we hire so many people to as they're scaling so quickly that i get deeply involved with a lot of the interview processes here Th- that's inspirational wow and the rest of the time it's everybody on top kind of lives on skype and so even if somebody's even if somebody seems available at all times, they're really, they're not, it's not like they're chained to their desk working or anything. Like even if I'm standing in line at like the grocery store, or I'm you know, getting ready at the gym or, or something like that. I, I'll probably have Skype on and be responsive. And to me, it's not, it's, it's not a burden at all. It's, it's just helping people get the information that they need, et cetera. And that's kind of common across the company. And so it's just kind of a nonstop th- thing. And now that I have a daughter, I you know, deliberately get away from you know, my phone and electronics and I've spent a lot of time with her. So things are changing. <laughs> they are. I mean, if anyone uh, has been listening to the show for some time, that is so inspirational. The fact that you can have this lifestyle of uh, moving around the world, following the beaches, but then also uh, you, you can change when you need to and when your circumstances change. And that's why I feel a lot of people do choose the life of uh, like entrepreneurship or um, uh, working for companies that are a bit more flexible on that side. Uh, yeah, I, so, yeah, I think if if you're starting a company and you're choosing not to do it remotely, you're making the worst decision possible. 
I mean, unless you're like need to build a lab or something and you need to physically be there because you're doing like hardware type stuff, it's the worst decision you can make because you won't be able to leverage a global talent pool. You it's, you're going to be stuck with employees who have to quit because their wife got into medical school across the country. It's just all these problems you don't need. You need to be able to go to LinkedIn and hire anybody. And you can only do that if you're set up remotely. Great. Well, I tell you, Brendan, this has been so in- inspirational for me and the APSA tribe listening to this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Just to remind people that you can go to episode 450. It's the and uh, search for the episode with Brendan. But for, in the meantime, Brendan, how can people best reach out to you? How, how can they connect? They can send me an email. That's brendan at toptal.com. It's B-R-E-A-N-D-E-N at T-O-P-T-A-L dot com. Brendan, I have to say uh, thank you to your awesome colleague, Nelson Wang, who introduced us and got this set up. And he's been just so amazing and terrific. And I think he's a listener to the show. So I couldn't leave without saying thank you to Nelson. It's been great. Thanks for coming on and uh, all the best with TopTal. Awesome. Thank you very much. Remember to check out b7dev.com, app development you really enjoy. Remember that Haim Sajnovsky will sort you out. If you do say that you come from the App Guy podcast, Paul Kemp, then you're going to get a good deal. b7dev.com. Thanks very much for supporting this podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, NewMob, who provides app acceleration for the mobile first world that we all live in. Startup app owners and developers are invited to accelerate their Android and iOS apps for free and see just how much better their apps load and perform using NewMob. Check it out at newmob.com. That's N-E-U-M-O-B.com.